scary basement. Each week, me and my friend Roxy are drawn inexplicably and supernaturally to this basement, wherein lurks every scary thing that has ever been, including a phone call that was coming from inside the house, a pair of glasses that shows their wearer who is a secret alien, an Elvira, and a skeleton with incriminating evidence that could at any point be turned over to the prosecution. I am Mikey McCaller. I'm Roxy Polk, and I didn't realize Elvira was one of a species, so uh, learning new things every day. She's, <laughs> she's scary. She's one of those people that like you see on TV as a kid, and I don't know where or from why, <laughs> but uh, she was apparently just one of many. She's rad as hell, though. So, hi, Elvira. <laughs> Goodbye! Interesting. <laughs> Roxy, uh. let's start out, as we always do, with the scariest thing we saw this week. What went down in your life outside the scary basement that spooked you down to your bones? Oh, my God, Mikey. Okay. <laughs> this is anime-related, so I'm sure you're gonna love it. Uh, no, nah, actually, you probably won't care either way. Um, I do hate anime. So the one of my favorite video games of all time is Near Automata. Yeah. And it recently got an anime adaptation where they were going to like try some different interesting things to like kind of inform the narrative where like episode one, I guess similarly to what we were talking about last week, episode one, very close to like kind of shot for shot for the beginning of the game. And then episode two, mm -hmm. it starts going places. So it was like, ooh, okay, they're doing something new. Cool. Mm -hmm. Got to episode four. And then suddenly we're like, Oh, we've canceled and we've or slash delayed when the series oh. is going to continue. And so all of the time slots we have for it are just going to be reruns of the same four episodes, the only four <laughs> episodes we've made. And they like blame COVID. Basically, it's like they didn't want to pay people like better wages because China's having a lot of problems with COVID right now. Mm -hmm. um, so people probably aren't able to do their normal work pipeline. They could just pay people who animators who live in Japan like, better wages to get them to do the show. But instead, mm -hmm. they're like, no, we're just gonna, like, delay the show until we can keep paying people less. Seems to be the running theory for why they said it got canceled because of COVID. Listen, that, number one, is awful. But number two, like, those characters are just, like, in a purgatory. Like, I always freak yeah, even out more on an so. existential level when a show gets canceled midway through the series, like, your god has abandoned you to never have your story completed. And not only that, they're going to be, like, displaying the husks of epi dead episodes yeah. that are going nowhere for, like, the runtime of an entire season. Only four episodes like constantly on repeat. Why? Just don't air them. Air something else in that time slot, you maniacs. Hold the series back. You're not under an obligation to air it, are you? I don't know. Yeah. So anyway, that's the scariest thing that happened to me this week. Who knows when it'll come back. Mikey, what's the scariest thing that happened to you this week? Uh, Roxy, I'm replaying the 2018 PlayStation 4 game God of War. Nice, nice. And as you know, I have a fear of giants. Yes, you do. This game has a very big giant in it. It is Makes the biggest sense. giant. The biggest giant I've seen in a video game and maybe in my life. Oh, dear. And I kind of forgot it was coming. Like, I played through this game before. I played it right mm -hmm. when it first came out. And you kind of just turn a corner, and there it is. Oh, damn. <laughs> it's okay. so scary. It's too much. Uh, it's very dead. It's dead, but it's just like you so have to like climb up. it's like Oh, it's no. not even attacking you. It's like it's a just set like a piece. Corpse. Yeah, it's just a giant corpse, and you just run up to its face, and you have to do, like, puzzles around it. 
So Damn, you're just like okay. on the edge of your seat as, as you're that creeping around That kind of set dressing is so cool. Like to it, it tells a story without ter- telling a story, basically. Yeah. And I love that kind of stuff. Environmental it's, storytelling, Mikey. Yeah, video games are great. One of the best things I've ever seen in my entire life. But you were and, scared that it was going to wake up and devour Kratos, the god of war. Exactly. At any moment. I know it wouldn't, but I'm just so intrinsically afraid of giants that like, I thought it might. I thought it might. Who knows, could be secret Easter egg ending where uh, Kratos <laughs> gets killed. <laughs> ending G for giant. That's why video game urban legends are so scary to me, because like, yeah. what if there is just something weird coded in there? Could be. You never know. But you know what? I'll tell you something that does have something weird coded in there. And that's the mechanical body of the demon that's keeping us inside there. How did they get a demon coded in there? The answer is Demon Bot. <laughs> he took over a robot and is also here. Here he is. Mikey and Roxy, this week you were assigned the Alfred Hitchcock classic Psycho. Did you watch the film or are your souls forfeit? Roxy, yes. I did watch Psycho. Did you? Yes, I did watch Psycho from, I think it was specifically 1960, right? On the on the year. Oh. So the one time I don't mention the year of the film, you jump in, eh? What other facts do you have to share with the rest of the scary basement miss know-it-all? Um, it's in black and white. <laughs> um, right, uh, the set burned down. <laughs> That's very interesting, Miss Encyclopedia Brown. Anyway, you may keep your souls, for now. You know, Mikey, I think he was being sarcastic when he said it was interesting. I don't think he thinks it's very interesting at all. I agree. And you know what? Of all the cruel things Demonbot does, sarcasm is the one I like the least. Roxy, this week we watched Psycho, a classic. Yeah, what like say? the progenitor of slasher genre movies, I guess. Possibly? I feel like we watched a lot of movies lately that were like, is this the first slasher movie? Yeah. But this one might be the first slasher movie. <laughs> Just keep going back in time. For anybody listening up at the cellar basement door who has not seen Psycho, what do you say we do a quick plot recap? Let's do it. Psycho. All right. We open on a hotel room. No, not that hotel room from the movie Psycho. Here in this hotel room, we meet Marion Crane and her boyfriend, Sam. Marion is tired of slipping away for quick, tawdry encounters. She wants Sam to marry her. But old Sam, he's too deep in debt. What with the alimony payments? What, are they supposed to get married and live in a shack behind the hardware store? A disappointed Marion heads back to the real estate business where she is a secretary. A gregarious cowboy who's just bought a house insists on paying in cash and hands Marion forty thousand dollars in nineteen sixties money. Uh which is to her for uh I think six point five billion dollars in today's dollars. Yeah, yeah, that's that checks out, that math checks out. Marion's boss is uncomfortable having that much money in the office and asks Marion to take it to the bank. Marion asks to go home right after the bank, saying she has a headache. But really, she's planning on snatching that cash and making a run for it. After trading in her car and buying a new one, Marion makes a stop for the night at the Bates Motel. Here, she meets Norman Bates, a tall, wiry man who constantly switches back and forth from charming and affable to jittery and eerie. He invites Marion over for dinner back at the house, his house, the house that overlooks the hotel. But while she's in her room, Marion overhears Norman arguing with his mother. This mother does not like the idea of Marion coming up. No way, no sir. Norman and Marion instead have a meal in the motel office, and Norman describes his relationship with his mother. 
It's not that she's a maniac. See, she just goes a little mad sometimes. We all go a little mad sometimes, don't we, Mikey? No, Besides, I don't. <laughs> the boy's best friend is his mother. Here, Norman and Marion talk about the nature of life, each feeling to some extent that everyone is stuck in their little traps, clawing away at the air or each other. Uh, Marion, in a sign that she's feeling guilty, suggests that some people are in traps of their own making. She resolves to return home in the morning to see if she can get herself out of that trap. Then Marion goes back to her hotel room and takes a shower. And boy, you know what's coming next. The silhouetted shape of an old woman appears behind the shower curtain, and Marion is stabbed over and over again while an iconic and harsh violin plays. Norman hurries to the room and finds Marion's lifeless body. Distressed by what his mother has done, but still looking to protect that mother, he mops up the blood, tosses Marion's body and belongings in the trunk of her car, and then dumps the car into a nearby swamp. A week later, Marion's little sister Lila confronts Sam about Marion's whereabouts. Sam doesn't have a clue where Marion went, but, speaking of clues, a private dick by the name of Arbogast shows up to question them both. Arbogast has been hired to track down the $40,000, one would assume by the cowboy who delivered it. Arbogast goes to motel after motel looking for any hint as to Marion's whereabouts. Finally, he makes his way to the Bates Motel. God, this guy's name being Arbogast. He sounds like... Uh, Luigi's Mansion villain, or like some sort of ancient <laughs> wizard. Uh, it's so it's weird. It's an all-time top name. I love his name. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, this uh, all-time top ten ancient wizard ghost talks to Norman, <laughs> who clumsily reveals that yes, Marion was at the motel, even suggesting she interacted with his mother. Arbogast asks to speak to Norman's mother, which is when Norman decides to stop talking. Very fishy. Arbogast calls Lila and Sam to tell them he's going to speak with the mother and proceeds up into the Bates house. There, he's stabbed to death by an old woman whose face we never see. Now Sam and Lila know something's wrong at the Bates Motel. First, they go to the town sheriff, who tells them Norman Bates' mother died ten years ago, on this very day. No, not really, but uh, she did die ten years ago, just not this very day. Lila and Sam pose as a married couple to snoop around the Bates Motel. Here, Sam distracts Norman while Lila goes to find that mother, knowing that that was the last place Arbogast was headed before he disappeared. And boy, when Lila finds that mother, oh brother, she is a damn mummy. The mother's a mummy, is what's happening. <laughs> Lila turns around to find Norman dressed in his mother's clothes and wearing a fake wig and wielding a knife. Sam shows up at the last minute and puts Norman Bates in some kind of chokehold, vice grip, nerve pinch sort of deal. Anyway, Norman Bates is subdued. Finally, we get a very long, very impassioned, very dramatic monologue from a psychologist who confirms that Norman killed his mother and her beau 10 years ago, but was psychologically unable to confront what he'd done. So Norman kept his mother's body around and even had conversations with himself, playing both the parts of himself and his mother. But now... Norman is lost, and only the mother remains. Anyhow, this is how the psychologist tells Lila her sister is dead. It's very fucked up. <laughs> we end on a creepy shot of Norman, thinking in his mother's voice, deciding to stay so still and quiet that no one would ever suspect her of killing anyone. She decides to not even kill the fly that just landed on her hand, so as to prove she wouldn't even hurt a fly. That's that, psycho, baby. That's psycho. Hey! That's psycho, baby. The titular psycho, psycho, dude. <laughs> uh, 
lot going on in this movie. It is one movie, and then halfway through, they kill Marion, and it becomes a different movie. And I yeah, kind it, of am enamored by that choice. So I don't know if this is like the first time a movie made this bold of a choice, but it's like one of the most memorable times it's ever happened that most people point to it to be like the first time someone did this where they killed off their main character and like nobody knew going in there were apparently things about when you went to see this movie in theaters if you didn't show up like right when the movie started they would not let you in so they wouldn't let Hmm. you in like halfway through or whatever and they were like please don't tell your friends the spoiler because they'll appreciate it if they get to find out themselves uh right so they were trying to keep that fact that, like, this headline actress dies in, like, what, the first 30, 40 minutes? However Something long. Something like that, yeah. Um, and then there isn't really any main character after that. Like, we follow Norman for a bit. Then we follow the mm-hmm. PI for a bit. Then we follow the sister and boyfriend for a bit. But, like, nobody else is then our main character. It's more about the events that happen and trying to track down the truth of what the situation is and where the money went. Yeah, it's very interesting just in that, like... It's this kind of heist, not not heist, like a, it's like a crime movie at the beginning. Yeah. And we're getting all of these details about Marion and about what she's doing and what her life is that are feel very thematically rem- resonant at the mm-hmm. beginning, but by the end of the movie are simply plot contrivances to keep people coming back to the motel like yeah, it's like the money awesome. is it's forgotten so cool. on like a bedside table that he doesn't even know it's there. I don't even remember. Does he like throw it away? Because he just thinks he, it's he a puts it in the trunk newspaper. of the car right before he drunk dumps the car in the okay. swamp. Yeah, so like the move, the money, the thing that got all this started that brought her here is just like yeah, that's not useful anymore. It was just a point to get her here. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's just like it it feels so interesting to say that like this movie in no way. Gives like I knew what was happening in this movie. Like I know that uh, Marion's gonna die halfway through, and then but like I didn't really know what happened after that, and I was just mm-hmm. like, where the fuck does this movie go from here? Yeah, and it's I want to say cool also, feeling. like when we're following Marion, she is so bad at crime; it's like painful to watch her try and leave <laughs> and is. like do she this. Is. She's, like, nervous and trying to do things really quickly and, like, just can't be normal when talking to anyone on her uh-huh. way, uh, like, because she feels so guilty or she's just like, yeah, that bad at crime. If you were going to make a huge gutsy move like that, I'd expect you to be maybe a little bit more apt at, like, pretending, especially when you're in, like, a service industry. She's, like, a front-facing secretary type, so you'd think she'd be mm-hmm. able to, like, I don't know, flip that switch, but nope. Too bad a crime. A cop, like, pulls her over and then continues to follow her. And I can't Mm -hmm. tell how much of it is being, like, that's a creepy cop. And how much of it is just, like, she gave him reason to be suspicious. And whether he should be doing it or not, he's going to follow her to the car dealership. And then, like, the whole point of trading in her car is so that she will lessen the paper trail or tension. And, like, she does it right in front of the cop and does it in the most suspicious way possible. Literally giving away money to the, like, huckster salesman who is trying to sell her the car. Oh, I would argue that this salesman is not a huckster and is specifically, Uh, like, (laughs) like, trying to stop the sale. He's just like, listen, man, I want you to get a good car. Yeah, I guess he's got that kind of, like, affectation where he's like, what can I do to get you into that car? No, you're you're right. He's very much, like, playing the the cartoonish role of a used car salesman. But then he's, like, literally, like... very much going against his own interests. Yeah, because he says something to the effect of, I've never had a customer, like, strong-arm the salesman to make a (laughs) sale before. (laughs) So this movie is doing a very... It it is, 
we, we always talk about like, what is the deep fear that this movie is poking at? And I would argue that it has two because the okay. first half is all a fake out to set up the second. Like mm-hmm. there are a, a lot of truly upsetting, scary moments in this first half of the movie before Norman Bates even shows up. I like am truly unsettled by the police officer. Yeah. I'm truly unsettled by her seeing her boss as she's like, she's driving away and she has told her boss she's going to be sick and just go lay in bed, but mm-hmm. then sees him driving around like this feeling of being caught doing wrong and yeah. knowing that like you've done something and you can never come back from it. And it you're already too deep down. It's, uh, it's truly upsetting. Like there's so there's like it's like a different kind of horror <laughs> yeah. that we're getting that is like almost a, a film noir kind of horror that to then halfway through the reason this is such a shocking moment is because it's not what this movie has been setting up at all. It has nothing to do with the feeling that you've done something and you're kind of in too deep. It has to do with this like arbitrary circumstance that you find yourself in which is about like the the uh the hp lovecraftian nature of the world that just like you could take a wrong term and come face to face with a norman bates type it's a completely yeah. different type of horror it's so this movie's cool i just think this movie is cool yeah i'd say like on that note as well like that's where marion's story ends it it ends yeah it on that kind of like half finished note about how she never got to make things right and was in too deep. But then I'd also say, mm-hmm. like, Norman's situation is that his mother died 10 years ago and he's committed to this dual personality as a coping mechanism and because he doesn't mm-hmm. know how else to live uh, and literally can't train himself out of that. And then we do get into this very interesting idea of, like, getting caught in traps. Yeah. That they talk about that I think, you know, we like were talking about- like a trap his own mind has made that is, he's not even aware of. Yeah. And and even when Marion calls him out on it, she's like, well, he's like, I'm, I've been in it so long in this trap that I uh, uh, don't even mind it. She's like, it seems like you mind it. He's like, I do. Yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. Switches immediately when she acknowledges it. Uh, we were kind of talking last week about how Signs as a movie is kind of like, it, it doesn't do a great job of like making its monsters stand in for the kind of horror that you want your characters to feel and to experience or that you want your audience to feel and experience, right? We were saying like, if the horror is about being alone in the universe, Mel Gibson never feels alone. He's got his family with him the whole movie. So yeah. it's, it's kind of plot device, uh, 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 lip service being paid to this idea. What this movie does is set up this idea of traps and these traps that we find ourselves in. And then when we get the Norman Bates rug pull, when Marion dies, we know that Arbogast and Sam and Lila are in the same trap that Marion was in. And then we're feeling this same dread that they're going into it too. Like, yeah. like th- it, this movie has tricked me into feeling the way that it wants me to feel. Like, that is when theme is successful. That is when your movie making has convinced me of your point emotionally as opposed to talking about your point and hoping I get it. And the way he did it, too, like, you're not doing it by being in the shoes of the character. It is you're the omnipotent audience mm-hmm. member watching these events unfold. Like, you know that uh, the investigator is headed in for a bad time by trying to confront this mother. <laughs> and then when he dies, actually, that whole sequence is very interesting and dreamlike. The way he falls down the stairs. I don't know what kind of uh, film technique they were using, but, like, yeah. he doesn't uh- fall normally. 
I'll tell you what kind of film technique they used. Uh, bad. <laughs> used a yeah, bad film it's, it very much sticks out to, like I said, it feels more dreamlike, whereas the rest of the movie feels like grounded, you know? Um, I can see that. I, I I watched that scene and I was like, everybody says like, well, why would you remake Psycho? It's already the perfect movie. I was like, oh yeah, this is the reason. This scene sucks. <laughs> this kill sucks. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't feel like it was that jarring for me. It felt like, oh, he did something interesting with the filmmaking here, maybe. Mm-hmm. But we haven't talked too much about the score. I mean, we kind of mentioned it a mm. little, but like this movie starts with a really iconic score, just like aggressive and in your face <laughs> with it uh, before then cutting to like these two lovers in a hotel room. And actually, I forgot to mention this on the Science Podcast last week. Signs did the exact same thing. Huh. It started exactly the way Psycho was, which was very interesting watching these two movies kind of like back to back. I was like, oh, yeah, M. Night Shyamalan watched Psycho, didn't he? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, um, I, I think you're probably right. I don't necessarily remember it. Does it open with the famous like, right? No, it's the like do 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 do. Okay, yeah, yeah. The intense theme I know, I know music, you're talking I about, guess. Yeah. yeah, I'm not sure if I'm hitting it, but not the, like, re re You got, you got the, uh, the nature of it, if not the form. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I don't claim to, look, I don't claim to be a musician or any sort of singer-songwriter, so I do. I'm in a band. We're called Humble Cheese Grater. <laughs> We're playing at your local <laughs> coffee shop. <laughs> That's not true. But so that that score almost didn't happen. So apparently that and the score for the murder when Marion is killed, Mm -hmm. Hitchcock was like, oh, I just wanted to be silent and hang there. And then his sound guy was like, dude, don't do that. (laughs) Um, And apparently it's one of the few times where Hitchcock actually listened to someone other than himself when making these sorts Mm. of decisions. And I'm so glad he did because it's way more effective. Um, And the shower scene is maybe one of the most like famous and parodied scenes in like film history like mm-hmm. cartoons parody it car- uh commercials parody it live action shows parody it other movies it's, parody it it's the simpsons problem i've mm-hmm. seen this scene way more on shows like the simpsons if not the simpsons themselves than i have in the movie yeah. so it doesn't i mean i don't think this movie, scene honestly. was scary like it, it does a good job of setting it up like she's in a very vulnerable position you know mm-hmm. we see like there's like a really interesting camera shot, uh, kind of like what we noticed in The Invisible Man, how like the, when she's in the shower and they reveal the silhouette, the, it, the shot is framed in a way as though the mother is already in the shot and mm-hmm. then she slowly appears. So it's like yeah. it's already kind of unsettling just filmically. Especially because uh, it's like, it's why cool. are we lingering so long in this scene? Like something's going to happen. Yeah. It's like building up your anticipation because like. There would be no narrative beat choice to show that otherwise. Like, Mm -hmm. there aren't characters talking. There isn't any additional action happening until that happens. Yeah. Oh, what a cool idea. I don't know. It just feels like the point of this movie is that you are watching one movie and then it shifts suddenly. Like, I I need to watch the remake of this movie. I really need to know what they do. I mean, I really want to. I have heard it is universally reviled, but it's a 90s horror movie I haven't seen. So, of course, I want to see it. You gotta see it. Well, I feel like we should do a watch party or something for this, even. That's a good idea. We should get yeah. that going. Which, is, actually, that's how I watched this movie. I watched Psycho and Psycho 2 back-to-back on my Discord, and uh, it was fun. a great time. A bunch of people showed up for Psycho 1, and then Psycho 2, it was like, it is too late at night. You were insane, Roxy. <laughs> but I was like, hey, let's just do it, okay? I'm crazy. Just do it. Uh-huh. 
Uh, and we did, and it was very fun. Um, but fun. yeah, the Psycho remake definitely feels more like maybe we should all watch it together instead of making an episode about it. <laughs> <laughs> but who knows? Maybe I'll eat my words and we'll be sitting here a couple of months from now and doing a Psycho remake episode. That's the dream. There is some through line. I want to know what you think about this, because um, I couldn't quite peg what we are getting at here. But hmm. there are enough different characters talking about this that I feel like there's something going on here. There's some sort of through line about buying happiness. And maybe the hmm. distinction between buying happiness and buying away non-happiness. Right? The guy who um, is who initially puts up the $40,000 talks about like i'm buying my daughter a house and that's not buying happiness but that's buying away unhappiness yeah he and then norman that. bates has no, that this whole very... scene okay so i'm oh, sorry that... to interrupt you but before we go on to the next scene uh marion is talking about how like in the scene before this she wants to marry her boyfriend and not just do hookups and they don't mm -hmm. have money and that's the reason he gives her um which honestly is a piss poor reason <laughs> because like she's working he's working they'll get money like it just sounds like an excuse to get her to stop trying to get him to commit anyway she goes to her job and then her friend or no co-worker is talking about how happily married she is uh-huh and then like a friend uh, her like her her doting husband calling and stuff <laughs> um and then that guy comes in talking about like his really young daughter who's getting married and is really happy and he's gonna buy her a house for her happy marriage mm -hmm. and marion's sitting there like I'm broke and unhappy, and you guys are just talking about the thing I want. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> you can like I, kind of see it on her face a little bit, how she's just like, please stop. Like, just stop it. Get get off yeah. of my desk. Stop talking about your young daughter getting married because she's so well, great. And it's has what's a lot of so money great about this movie that like it, it, I completely buy that this like totally buttoned up girl, like they even say it later, this girl worked for this real estate company for 10 years, that yep. she was just like, yeah, of course she stole that money. Fuck that guy. Of course she did. There was no yeah. choice. And he was even so being creepy and kind of hitting on her. That's the thing, too. Then, like, after the guy was, like, kind of creeping on her and then leaves mm -hmm. the cowboy man, her coworker is like, oh, yeah, I saw he was kind of, like, flirting with you. It must have been because he saw my ring. Implying that, like, the dude would have flirted with her because she was more desirable, but because she was married, so he didn't. <laughs> so it's a consequence of her not being married is that uh, she's uglier and yeah. uh, has creeps hitting on her because of <laughs> because she's not married. I love it. So, there, like I said, there's this, this bizarre through line that I don't, quite feel like i understand yet so okay, this guy's talking happiness. about sorry i guess <laughs> buying happiness buying away non-happiness norman uh -huh. bates has this interesting um take on things where he's like you know nobody comes to my motel anymore but there's no sense dwelling on our losses we just keep on lighting the lights and following the formalities which almost feels like a response I mean, that's to this how he that's his coping mechanism for the past 10 years i guess right that's true yeah like things that are happening he's kind of just ignoring them and doing what he's doing versus yeah. like marion is somebody who has taken action she is striving towards something different mm -hmm. uh and then uh this idea that like we're all in our private traps right we're all uh we all claw at the air or each other never moving an inch norman bates doesn't move an inch but marion has very much moved an inch yeah like I'm I'm still I'm trying to understand if there like it feels like there's enough and then even the sheriff that they talk to later has a little bit of a conversation with them about how like no 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 Norman's fine he's just he he's a go along get along kind of guy uh, oh, I'm just did like, he? I'm, 
I'm all very like, I'm just very like interested in it. It just feels like there's a lot of text here and I don't know that it necessarily comes together. Like there are a lot of, you can kind of pick it out in movies when it's like, there's a line here that is thematically important. And this movie just has a lot of them. The last one I caught that like, I don't know if it's going anywhere that is maybe more a little joke than anything is when Lila first goes to the hardware store to find Sam, there's a woman there who's talking about uh, buying this um, bug poison. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And she says, insect or man, it should always be painless. And yeah, we just saw Marion. It was not painless. It yeah, was very exactly. full of pain. <laughs> so it just feels like there's something like there, this movie is like very interesting in that it has so much going on. And it almost has like be, for being two movies already, it has four movies worth of ideas. Mm hmm. And I think also with Norman himself, like not only is he not moving and that cop has that particular opinion of him. Um, it's also hitting on that whole kind of, like, harmless dude. Like, a dude who you would think is harmless mm. is going to turn around and kill you. And that's one of the scariest things about, like, real-life serial killers yeah. and stuff is that they're often able to, like, hide in plain sight or when they have mm-hmm. these weird reactions, like, with how awkward Norman is with everyone. You kind of just, like, make excuses for it or brush it, brush it off to just be like, he's just a weird guy or he's just, like, a get-along guy, you know? Like, he doesn't mm-hmm. mean anything by it. He's, he's harmless. When secretly he has this, like, twisted inner <laughs> world trying to deal with the fact that he is alone, has been alone for, like, ten years, poisoned <laughs> his mother and her boyfriend, I guess? Yeah. But then it was marked as, like, a suicide, I think, right? Right. And so, like... I don't know if it split, his personality split from there. I know there's a lot of sequels and TV shows that probably elaborate on this way more, but we're just talking about the context of the movie we got in front of us. Um, Mm -hmm. It seems to me that maybe the moment that he killed his mother was the moment that he had to adopt the other persona to split in this way, as like the mother persona is his refuge, the mother persona is the one that has all the power, uh, because that's all he's ever known. So he's kind of just like felt small, I guess, as Norman. So Mm -hmm. this is his way of coping to get some amount of power. But at the same time, it's just like, it's his, what his power looks like is just treating himself and others horribly is what he chooses mm-hmm. to do. And like Marion, who chose to break from the norm uh, in a different way, chose to like take this money, get a better future for herself. But then after thinking about it, she's like, but actually I shouldn't have done this and decides she's going to go back. And, Mm -hmm. like, then that's when she gets killed. So I'm not sure if they're trying to say something where it's, like, she chose to embrace this new life, couldn't hack it, and was going to backslide, and then now she's dead because her story's over. She's already decided Mm -hmm. she's not going to go through with this anymore. So she Well, there there is something about, like, her attempting to go back, like, she's already kind of done it. She like it, like it, no matter what, she's out of that stasis of I'm with a guy who is not going to marry me because of money. Like mm-hmm. she's either going to jail or she's getting a new job or like something has changed in her life. It's weird, though, because they talk about like we want to try and settle this without the law. That's why there's a yeah. private investigator and we've got the uh, the sister and the boyfriend because they're thinking she j- she's just a girl who made a bad choice, one bad choice. So we'll just get the money mm-hmm. back and then kind of like gloss over it i'm sure she would be fired but i have a feeling they wouldn't report it to the police i guess maybe yeah which Which is weird also (laughs) it is a very like it's like a simpler time where you know you could just to like ah you don't have to use the guest book to check in we just let people come stay in our motel i'm sure you'll pay me later like everything just felt so simple and homey it definitely has much scarier to to think that there's a psycho out there 
it's. I'm God, sure the movie I, is I also just, using that expectation to then turn it on its head when things turn murderous as well, mm-hmm. because you are lulled into this false sense of what what kind of like small town hospitality is like. Uh-huh. Oh, this uh, like awkward, but I guess affable uh man is gonna bring you milk and a sandwich which by the way the combo of milk and sandwich feels so weird um i'm not sure if that's a time period thing or if it's like he does mention that i think when he was sick his mother made him a sandwich and milk and so like that's Mm. his favorite thing or the thing he eats all the time because he again is probably just trapped in his mind with this as a coping mechanism uh so I'm not sure if it's supposed to come across as more childish, maybe, of a mm-hmm. choice. It just seemed weird to me. It wasn't until I heard that explanation that I was like, okay, maybe that's like a little kid thing to do. Yes. Mm. Yeah, no, it is. It is a very childish meal. Mm-hmm. There is, uh, I, I kind of like, in terms of trying to figure out what this movie is about and like what kind of specific fear it's tapping into overall, the, the one I kind of landed on is this idea that we all go a little mad sometimes. Uh, which hmm. is Norman went a little mad and stuck with it and got uh-huh. got stuck in it. And Marion went a little mad and was like on her way to get out of it. Uh, and so I like this idea. Okay. Um, it's kind of the same idea that is presented in simultaneously one of my most favorite and least favorite comic books of all time, uh, oh. The Killing Joke. It's a Batman comic. Oh, Okay. Where the Joker is trying to prove that, like, I'm not the weird one. Like, anybody could have a, a single bad day and go crazy. And he tries to do this to Commissioner Gordon by uh, uh, doing some weird, uh, murderous sexual stuff to Batgirl, his daughter. Uh, that's the part I don't love. But this idea that, like, Jim Gordon has this horrible day. He sees his daughter shot in front of his eyes. And he stays true to himself he stays sane even despite the horrors he's been through and there's like this very cool idea that like the world will assault us and some people can get out of it and some people can't and it's the heroes who are able to remain true to themselves despite what's thrown at them that i find really beautiful uh that we would have seen marion theoretically go through (laughs) is why i still think she's the hero of the movie because she is trying to change. She is the one who is growing and changing throughout the course of the movie. I think in that way, too, maybe because our potential hero gets cut down before she can really complete her change, I guess. It's almost a more realistic look at it in that way. Because not every human being is going to be able to have their full character arc, for lack of a better mm-hmm. word. Where they get to do the everything they want to do and change the way they want to change and accomplish what they want to accomplish. Sometimes you just take a bad turn and something bad happens to you. And that's terrifying. Right. Um, I think that's right. at the heart of kind of the, the terror of this is just Marion feels like she could be anyone. Just like you watching this are anybody, mm-hmm. you know, like you're a normal, no, not normal. That's the wor- wrong word. But uh, no, just I'm like normal. any. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, I'm sure. normal. <laughs> just say it. Say I'm normal. <laughs> Don't we all go a little mad sometimes, Mikey? <laughs> Roxy, do you think that the people who read the novel Psycho is based on uh, filmed their friends watching this movie, especially when the shower scene started, like we all did with the Red Wedding on Game of Thrones? Oh, for like reaction? Yeah. Reaction You think content? they made reaction vids? <laughs> yeah, I'm sure they got their like, what, 38 millimeter film camera <laughs> on a giant stand and like pointed it at them. <laughs> Turning the crank yep, as they're the watching crank. the movie. <laughs> Um, upload the, it to the, Yield Tube. 
The one last thing I want to talk about is this psychiatrist at the end. What was your oh take my on the psychiatrist? Yeah, we haven't really dug into that. So What's I, his deal? I think a lot of this is just the fact that this sort of uh, framing device and like mental um, destabilization that happens to him, which just wasn't known to the general public. This is like one of the first movies to ever do something like this. Mm-hmm. Like apparently, I guess the word psycho wasn't really in vernacular until this mm. movie. Um, so that's why they literally have a guy come out for like 10 minutes to dramatically soliloquy you about <laughs> uh, Norman Bates's specific mental disorder and backstory and past and why he did it. And mm. I hate it. I hate it so much. <laughs> it's so bad. I get it's a product of the time and why they had to do it, but it just feels like it undercuts any sort of subtlety or interesting way to show, not tell that this mm. movie has done. It's like cutting itself off at the knees, and it's really unfortunate. It strikes me as the kind of thing that, like, you had to do at the time because it was such a, like, foreign concept. But Mm -hmm. now that you and I have watched so many movies where it's like, yeah, of course he was dressing up as the mother because he couldn't psychologically deal. Like, we know. Yeah. Like, I wonder how much of it was, like, vital to to the function of, like, the audience at the time. But more to the point. I love this guy's delivery because it's it's fucking insane. insane. It's fucking insane. It's truly unhinged. (laughs) He's going, they're like, so wait, did Norman Bates kill my sister? And he's like, yes. And no. Let me tell you about psycho. Like he's doing it like it's a like a vaudeville show. Yeah, he's like the only one standing. Everybody else is sitting, pretty (laughs) sure. And like he's walking around the room and gesticulating, and it does feel like he has some sort of affected accent. And yeah, like he is speaking on a stage, not talking to humans who are next to him (laughs) in the room. And he's also like, we've never seen him before. And he gets like a five, ten minute monologue. So it's like, who the fuck is this guy? I didn't even know he was a doctor (laughs) until like in the summary it referred to him as a doctor. I thought he was just like another cop. He's just like a random dude in a suit. So weird. And then, yeah, he gets like all this very concentrated screen time. And then it cuts to Norman Bates and then cuts to the car being brought out of the muck. And then that's Uh it. It's it's just ended. Like it basically ends the movie with this. Yeah uh dialogue scene that he has it's so fucking wild to me it's just like it's such a like you can see the bones of the movie making right they're like Mm -hmm. we need a scene to explain like what's going on but thinking about that in like a human context about how like if your sister if you're just finding out that's how your sister died and there's this man going like yes but no, like it, yeah. it's not a time Turning to it be clever. It's not yeah. a time to do like a little turn of phrase. Yeah, it feels very much like, yeah, we're not talking about characters or other humans. It's just like an idea or a concept yeah. that this guy is talking about. It's so detached and strange. <laughs> we, um, Roxy, you and I were friends when the television show Lost was airing mm. initially. And mm-hmm. I remember we had a joke that like, there were so many mysteries on Lost that for the show to end, it would just be like one of the characters sits down and looks into the camera and explains what's going on. Uh-huh. That's what happens in the movie Psycho. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a man <laughs> sitting there telling you the tale of the movie mm-hmm. you just watched. Very funny. Roxy, was there anything else about Psycho that you wanted to bring up? Uh, just one other little small thing about uh, the fact that this is a black and white movie. I think it particularly mm. uses it to its advantage for like light and shadow in a very mm. interesting way. And when we get the uh, mummy mother corpse reveal in the basement, the way that uh, the sister like hits a naked light bulb that's hanging from the ceiling. So it makes the light mm. source swing around. And the way like... 
the light source plays on this mummy face with its cavernous like holes for eyes. Yeah. Uh, very effective, I think. And that's something where if it was in color, I don't think it would have read as well. So it's cool to see like, I, I, I don't know if we've talked about this before. I have a hard kind of time with an entry barrier for black and white media. It just oh, feels really? so removed from time that I understand. And a lot of times, mm-hmm. like, some of the rant- writing might slant in a way that I don't really want to engage with, whether it's, like, mm. misogynistic or racist or something. You're more mm. likely to get that. I mean, I guess I shouldn't say that based on, like, there's all types of horrible media as well out there. Yeah, it's been bad from the beginning and good from yeah, the Yeah, but it- it'll just be, like, like for instance, the the guy talking about just giving a five-minute monologue, I just feel like so many of those movies are slogs like that, where there is just, mm. like, a lot of proliferating and just a lot of people saying things and standing around, and it's not nearly as interesting, because they've <laughs> learned so much in the art of movie making since then. Yeah. So it was kind of hard for me to initially watch this movie, but I was very glad that actually, like, as I got into it, you kind of forget that pretty quickly. I feel like a mm-hmm. lot of other black and white movies don't have that power to do that. And then, yeah, seeing it, like, work to its advantage in this final reveal scene with the way the mm-hmm. light sources, uh, that was very cool. It's something that I hadn't really thought about, but even, like, story-wise, this idea that this mother is dead, but the way the light is bouncing on her face, it makes her look almost alive. Like, that her mm. presence is still so felt in the story and, yeah. and has so much to do with it. Like, I kind of, I hadn't really thought about that, but that's very cool. Uh, okay, so you said you had an initial barrier to entry. How did you end up feeling about Psycho? And this is, of course, on a scale from one to five thumbs. Roxy, remember, we have two thumbs. We're people. Yep. Mm-hmm. But we also have this big box of hands here that we can use more thumbs if we want to give it up to five thumbs. How many thumbs up would you give Psycho? Uh, so I gave it a four out of five. Huh. Um, huh. I think it's like, it's a good movie. It's very influential. It's like pioneered a lot of different ideas and concepts and movie making Again, it's a movie where, like, even if you haven't seen it before, you've seen it before because it's been Mm -hmm. parodied on everything. It's just that influential and important, I guess, film history-wise. But yeah, like, the explaining points at the end, certain things just feeling a little adrift for me anyway in terms of, like, drilling down on what you're trying to say with your switching protagonist or just, like, certain things maybe not hitting. I still think it's very good, but I think maybe it's a personal preference. I don't know. It's still, like... Mm -hmm. It shows stuff at the seams that is not, like, perfect. I mean, it's very hard to have a perfect movie. And we're just kind of doing this in terms of our likability as well. I liked it just fine. (laughs) What about you, Mikey? (laughs) I also gave it a four. Okay, look at that. Um, I think, like, it's so interesting that you say, like, this is a movie that even if you haven't seen it, you've seen it. And you're 100% right right to say that. But at the same time, once Marion died, it's a feeling I don't know if I've ever had in a movie before. I was just like, I have no fucking clue what comes next. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Even the most surprising movie, you're like, well, at the end, we're gonna fight Thanos. Like, whatever that movie's version of Thanos is. And I guess we still do in this movie. Our, our Thanos is... Uh, Mother. And they were using this term at the time. <laughs> they, yes, they, Norman truly. Bates was referred to as the Thanos of Psycho. But like, yeah, I think the first half is so good and interesting. I think the turn is so interesting. And uh, for me, it loses a little bit of steam. Yeah, like when we, especially when we switch to the, uh, like, Arbogast is dead. And then now all we're left with is the sister and the boyfriend. The boyfriend right. is just like a square shaped man who is really <laughs> uninteresting. The sister's yeah. like, okay, but I also don't really care about her. Um, right. 
So, like, we then have to spend the rest of the movie with these uninteresting characters we don't really care about. And we've mm-hmm. already, as the audience, got so much, like, knowledge about what's going on with it. So it's just kind of frustrating to see them bumble around at that point. Yeah. We're like, kind you of worry like, for the detective. For these two, I'm just like, come on. Just, okay, we're doing this a third get time. Get on with it. <laughs> uh, it. It almost feels like a little Twilight Zone episode yes. at that point. Which yeah. I don't mind necessarily. But, like, I, I kind of struggle with Twilight Zone just because, like, it's like... A lot of fluff and then like get to the the cool ending. There's always that one little like last shot that's cool or surprise mm-hmm. that's cool. And uh I, I felt like this movie kind of turned into a Twilight Zone where I'm like, all right, let's just get to the reveal. Like we know that there is a psycho mother out here. Like let's mm-hmm. let's do it. Let's do it. All right. Sounds like four stars is the answer for yep, Psycho. Four stars is the answer for me. We hit it. Roxy, do you have a question for me? I sure do. So this movie dealt with a lot of horrible hotel fiascos. So I want to know, what is the scariest event you've ever had in a hotel? Um, I remember being in like fourth grade and my family went to Disneyland in California. Okay, liking this so far. Sounds fun. You'd think. Okay. Roxy, there was, a, it's ultimately not that scary, but like there was a roach in our Disneyland hotel room. Ooh, gross. And so like there's... First of all, the aspect that, like, this is Disneyland, right? Yeah, it's this supposed, is supposed to be, be magical this and place. special and something right. you've been looking forward to, like, all year as a kid. Mm-hmm. So a bug in there is scary. But more to the point, I remembered what it revealed about my parents that they were like, well, now we get a free room. And like, like lusting for it. They're like, yes, we've hit the jackpot now because they have to give us stuff. Oh, wow. And that's a bummer. <laughs> yeah, the first time to, like, kind of have that revealed as a kid. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, my parents are, uh, it, it's not quite, it's uh, uh, choosing beggars, I think, is the uh, subreddit that I like, mm. where they're like, well, we deserve more free, I'm rubbing my palms together yeah. every time I take off the audio might be coming Because, oh. like, it would yum, make yum, sense yum. to maybe be like, can we maybe have a discount because this is not clean? Like, this is mm-hmm. gross. We paid full price for, like, a clean room, and this isn't a clean room. So I could understand that, but being like, oh, yeah, we're gonna, like, leverage this to get an entire room free and all this other Cashing shit. Cashing in, baby. Yeah. Cashing <laughs> in. Lame. Yikes. Roxy, what's the scariest thing that happened to you at a motel? Or hotel, um, I suppose. So, my family had a uh, trip to Europe when we were younger. Uh, basically, like, my parents, when they got married, they got married in Europe and had, like, a backpacking trip for their honeymoon. So they kind of wanted mm-hmm. to, like, renew their vows. So we all went to Europe together. Uh, did, like, mm-hmm. his homestay thing because it was very expensive to do it. So, like, someone from the UK stayed in our house and we stayed in somebody's house in the UK. Oh, okay. But when we went to Paris, we had to rent a room, and it was called the Hotel Champagne, and it was the tiniest little hole-in-the-wall room you've ever seen. They had a Mm -hmm. thing that was supposed to be a bathtub. It looked like a sink. It was the size of a sink, basically. (laughs) Like, a child would be folded up in there. I don't understand how an adult was supposed to use that. Well, the French are notoriously small. I guess so. More, they're they're gnomes. Uh, I don't know if you. Knew they can this, crawl Mikey. into whatever <laughs> small spaces you find. <laughs> and so, like, we were at this little tiny hotel. Uh, we were tired from the trip and kind of like just going to sleep or taking a nap. And then, while we're like trying to get rest, the front door to the <gasps> room opens. None of us no. are opening the room. Somebody who had a key 
open the room and like began to try and creep in there to like steal stuff from us, I guess. But then we woke up and we're like, who the fuck are you? What are you doing here? And they like immediately ran out and left. <laughs> so like at least they weren't going to try and do us harm. They're just trying to get a free free steal from something, I guess. But they ran Roxy. away immediately. They had to report it. I don't I was like a kid, so my parents probably did other stuff that had to do with this like I don't know, like if they're doing crime report or talking to the front desk, whatever. Um, I should ask them about it, honestly, to be like, what happened after that, by the way? <laughs> yeah, but, I do want to know. Yeah, it's it's scary. And like, until I came up with this question for us to talk about, I hadn't thought about it. So I don't know if it's some sort oh. of repressed memory about how traumatized I was by this. Who knows? You realize, Roxy, you're describing the film Barbarian. You know? Yeah, that's the film Barbarian. Been, also you, switches you its main done character a many, multiple times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, Barbarian's good. Roxy, last week we made a bet about Psycho. We were asking each other what we think the timestamp would be of the famous shower scene as measured by the moment the water starts running. I said it would happen 40 minutes in. What did you say? I said 35. The answer was 47. Oh, nine. Seven. My God, that's so far into the movie. How long is this movie? Two hours? Exactly. Like, it's almost exactly halfway through the movie. That's wild. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, Mikey, you win this week. So that's me, baby. That means our total score right now is Roxy with 40. Mikey with 30. Oh, hey, look at that. Tie 30, 40. Exactly 10. It's 30. Nothing happened yet, Mikey. I think you're in the clear. I think you're not going to (sighs) be Mr. Little Bunch of Foots. I think you're Little Miss Bunch. I'm grossed out by feet. (laughs) I know. So you dodged a foot-shaped bullet here. Good for you. Not only am I grossed out by feet, I'm grossed out by hooves. Specifically, robot hooves. Roxy, look who's creeping on over. It's the demon bot. Oh, it's the demon bot. You know, look at He painted his chassis all black and white to fit in with the movie. Mikey and Roxy, I shall have you know I am simply wearing my best two-tone suit as I am going to see a tribute concert of the Scar Band The Specials. Anyway, for next week, you wanted some imaginative kills. I'll give you some imaginative kills. You must watch the 2000 film Final Destination. All right, Roxy, so we've got Final Destination next. Yeah, Final Destination, this movie's gonna be ridiculous. (laughs) (laughs) Can you fight the specter of death, the specter of fate that wants to kill you, Mikey? You're marked for death. My guess? My guess is yes. And you fight them with prophecy dreams. Yeah, and a combination of errors and happenstances coming together to create a uh, mousetrap-style trap to <laughs> kill you. Roxy, we gotta make a bet for next week, and I don't think there's any way we can get around making this a classic kill count We gotta bet. do it. You gotta do it. Here's the thing about this movie, though. We know there is a high death count because mm-hmm. famously a plane explodes in the beginning. Yep, it's the whole crux of the movie. If you've seen a trailer, you know it. So we got to make a kill count. How many people do you think are going to die in the first Final Destination film? God, okay. So there is going to be the ones who died in the plane crash, but then our, our friends who get out. I don't know if there's any other kills along the way, too. Uh, shit. I'm going to say 65. How many people are usually on a plane? Now that I think about it. It's a great question. It's like an uh, international flight. I, I guess I'm going to say 65. I don't know. I'm probably undercounting really low. Yeah, I feel like they're... My guess for people on a plane would be like 150. Yeah, it's probably closer to it. 
How many episodes of Lost have I watched and not known this? I feel like we should have <laughs> know this. counted. <laughs> yeah. We should have counted that plane crash from Lost. <laughs> I'm going to say 140 people. Okay, I think are going to be killed in it. Final Destination. Yeah. <laughs> All right, the bet's locked in. Roxy, we've been talking about a lot of scary things: psychos, black and white films, mm-hmm. switching main characters, and feeling unmoored in a film. What's something? making you happy we gotta end on a happy note tell me what's making you smile this week so the thing that's making me smile this week is a movie uh called the Mm -hmm. unbearable weight of massive talent Ooh! it came out in uh 2022 and it also has pedro pascal in it which we were just talking about the last of us you love pedro pascal he's great he's uh (laughs) my friend the mandalorian um, so he plays a guy who is Nick Cage's number one fan and, like, hires him to come to his birthday party on his private island. And Nick Cage <laughs> is playing himself. He goes there and crazy, insane things happen that, uh, I won't expound on further because it will, uh, be big spoilers. But trust me, it's fun. It's worth your time if you like either of those actors or just, like, movies i guess i feel like it has something to say about like the art of movie making and movies in general Mm. and the fact that nick cage agreed to do this is just so funny to me too like he's willing to kind of like laugh at himself to an extent or look at himself with an outsider view kind of or see what the writer's interpretation of him would be which is fascinating as well that was my question so he's like in on the joke he is, yeah. So, like, he's aware. Cool. In fact, this movie had been shopped to him for a really long time before he ever actually pulled the trigger on it. Because he's like, I don't really want to do a movie about myself. Like, that feels a little too <laughs> self-involved and whatever. But because the movie goes to fun places, and it is about, like, male friendships being, like, strange and fun and kind of cute, honestly. Um, mm-hmm. And just Pedro Pascal and Nick Cage look like they're having such a good time on screen. Uh, I would highly recommend watching this movie. It made It made me smile. <laughs> that's fun what about you mikey what made you happy this week listen i talked earlier about playing god of war 2018 it's another god of war thing roxy in the in the game god of war the valkyries have been corrupted i don't like that valkyries are cool exactly it's a problem uh so kratos and his son atreus are traveling around fighting the valkyries there's like eight or nine in the entire game right and they're kind of hidden throughout the world and you'll find them and I don't know why they would do this necessarily, but the order in which you find the Valkyries, they give the same, like the information is the same, right? The first Valkyrie is like, we don't know why we're like this. The second Valkyrie is like, I kind of remember this. And then it's like the mystery Mm. heightens as you go further and further. Oh, that's cool. I would not have expected that. That's kind of uh, mystery you're solving instead of just being like, they just got corrupted. Uh, deal yeah. with it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you're slowly figuring out what has happened. Um, But they have different voice actors doing all the different valkyries and mm-hmm. there's almost like a mix and match so if you go to the valkyrie in the far west corner of the map first you get the first voice actor reading the first beat of dialogue oh but so if like you, you go... can choose whichever one it's not paced to be like you have to fight this one this one this one right in that order so whichever order you fight them in but whichever order you get to them you hear that actor so oh weird okay Exactly. That's interesting. It's, it's kind of confusing, choice. and I don't know why. I don't know why they would do it. Yeah, I don't know personally. why you would do that, but it's different. But this Valkyrie, there's a Valkyrie who, in the text, you know, Atreus, the little boy, comments like, "This Valkyrie is very loud." Okay. And 
she's just like speaking loud. And I went and Googled and I couldn't find a clip because it was different voice actors mixed and matched. But the voice actress, I happened to have mixed and matched to say (laughs) this line, who was the loud Valkyrie, gave the weirdest line read where she says something like, you have freed my soul. I am going to Valhalla now. Goodbye. What the hell? (laughs) And it's like, what? It's just for me. It's That's just like for that me meme that this of happened. like Poochie had to go back to his home planet. <laughs> like he's done. <laughs> Goodbye. Like that doesn't sound like something an actual voice actor would choose to make that and a voice editor would choose. That's like, exactly. No. What on earth? When I, when I found it, like all the other actresses who played this Valkyrie part, like mm-hmm. they give kind of like a weird performance that like, yes, is louder, but this is the only one that she sounds like a fucked up maniac. So it uh-huh. makes me almost want to play the game again so I can <laughs> get it and record it. Um, my understanding is that if you fight the Valkyrie gunner, G-U-N-N-R, mm-hmm. if you fight her third, she okay. gets the the... The, that's the voice clip. So I'm just going to play through this game again. I'm going to unlock all the Valkyries and play them in that order. Mikey, and that Jesus sounds Christ. like a streamable so event. Funny. You got to do that so everybody can clip this fucking thing. <laughs> sounds ridiculous. <laughs> I might have to. <laughs> Speaking of streamable things, it's time now for haunted plugs. First of all, make sure that you follow Scary Basement on Twitter at Scary underscore Basement and on Instagram at Scary Basement Pod. Roxy, where can people find you on the internet? I'm on Twitter as Red Mage Roxy and on Twitch as Red Mage Roxy, where I stream three days a week, every Tuesday, Thursday, and Sunday. And I, Mikey McCaller, am on Twitter at Secret Blimp and on Twitch at twitch.tv slash Secret Blimp. Also, make sure to give the Scary Basement podcast five stars on iTunes or wherever you're listening to podcasts. Also, leave a review. That really helps us out. And another way you can show your support is by checking out the Patreon for our podcast network, Super NPC Radio. Uh, sign up at patreon.com slash supernpcradio, and you can get bonus episodes of Scary Basement, covering horror video games every month, as well as episodes of Super NPC Radio that Mikey and I host as well. Extra fun. Double the fun, even. In addition, you will have the years and years of content from the rest of the video game loving folks over at Super NPC Radio, and they do great work over there. Finally, don't forget to share this podcast with every one of your friends. And as always, remember, do not sign any contracts offered to you by demon robots. See you next week. (laughs) 